Father, thank you for this season in which we can remember all of your good gifts to us. Uh, Help us to be a thankful people, and above all, thankful for the freedom to gather, to worship, to learn, and to grow more into the image of our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, so if you are staying in here, then... Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and someone read for me verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. So, we're in the second to the last chapter of Bonhoeffer's book on discipleship, the cost of discipleship. We're coming to the close of this book, and he focuses on the saints, those who are the called out people. And this is uh, chapter 30, the penultimate chapter And he says there are three marks of the saints. The one is that the saints must be members of a visible community. Which is the church. The second is that visible community is maintained... Through holiness. And then third, the sanctification must be hidden. So last week we looked at the visible community, the church, and how it is that the church is this embodied Christ Jesus, that it's referred to as the body of Christ. Christ calls to himself a visible community separate from the world, and that is the church. And so that's where we engage in this process of sanctification, of being holy. But this Pursuit of holiness is also a holiness that is completely hidden from us. And here's an example. I don't know if maybe everybody is like me. I'm guessing you are. Maybe I'm uniquely broken in this. But (laughs) if you think back over the past week, your actions, your words, your thoughts. Do you come away with a smile or do you come away with a heavy burden? I tend, 
as I'm coming into the first day of the week and examining my heart and examining the week and bringing my, my, myself before God, I tend to focus on all the yuck that came from within. And I tend to define my Christian life in a way that I don't see myself as a holy man. I don't see myself as a saint. I see myself very much as a failure. And yet, every saint that I've ever met kind of all felt the same way. And the ones that were seemingly the closest to God were the ones who often had the greatest doubts or the greatest sense of lack of self-worth in the face of God. And conversely, a sanctification that is public is not sanctification. (laughs) If I'm standing here and informing you of how holy I am, and these were the 18 different amazing things that I did last week, and I'd like for you to know about them, that becomes, A, really boring, (laughs) and B, just nasty. It stinks. (laughs) You don't want to hear that, and I don't want to do that. A sanctification that is Christ-like is a sanctification that is hidden from ourselves. And yet, it's of the essence of the Christian life. And so, Bonhoeffer goes on in this chapter. He says, where the church, while the church lives in the sanctuary of God, the church lives in his care, the church lives in the very sanctuary of God, Something of the world still lives in the church. We are sinners. There, there is still that sin that, that is within the church. But throughout the New Testament, the Christians, the members of the church, are regularly called holy. They're called saints. Because of that accomplished fact of justification, So the urge of the ethic in the New Testament is to live what we already are. And I think that's the the tension of the law gospel uh, dynamic. People tend to get off the rails either on you need to do these 18 different things in order to be a Christian, or Christianity absolutely does not impose any conditions on you whatsoever. We've just seen throughout the book, Christianity costs you your very life. But we're declared to be holy. We're declared saints, the saints in Ephesus, the saints in Corinth, uh, to to the saints in Rome. We're declared to be holy, and so the pursuit of the Christian life and the pursuit of the church is to pursue that holiness. Paul gives different lists of vices and graces. Uh, In Galatians 5.21, Ephesians 5.5, 1 Corinthians 6.9, Romans 1.32. Different lists of vices, works of the flesh. But each one is headed by two particular sins. I need to erase. 
Each one is headed. So we're in this point two. The visible community pursuing holiness. Each list is headed in two ways. One is the sin of whoredom. And the other is the sin of covetousness. So each of the lists, if you look at them, those are the two main. They differ in other areas. But whoredom and covetousness are the two big ones. And the reason for that is that both directly assault God. That's Paul's argument. The reason why the Christian should not be engaged in, and the word is porneia, is because it is a direct assault upon God because you're uniting the body of Christ to a prostitute. You're uniting Christ to something that is not Christ. And, and so for Paul, that is unthinkable that we should do this. It's a direct assault against God. That's the basis of his argument. The other of covetousness is directly assaulting God's care for us. It's a direct offense against God's providence, against God's good hand in our lives. And so... Bonhoeffer says the whoremonger and the covetous person are both perfect embodiments of desire. When we create our own God and our own world, what we are really doing is to deify our own lust. So that's why both of these things are so offensive. And I I would say, you know, how much of our stuff comes out of covetousness or out of lasciviousness? <laughs> uh, how much of our, of our toxicity comes out of those two seeming fountainheads? But both of them directly assault God and ultimately create our own God, which is a God of our own lust. So contrasting... And, and again, back to this list, there's these, these different lists in Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, and Romans. Contrasting that are the fruits of the Spirit. They're not the works of the Christian. They are the fruit of the Spirit. Bonhoeffer says, fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It is never the result of willing, but always a growth. It's always what God does in us. God bears this fruit in us. The Spirit bears this fruit. And so this is, again, this tension between law and gospel. Uh, but, But recognizing that it's the Spirit that causes us to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and those things. But central to it, central to this fruit bearing in our lives, at the very core of it, is forgiveness. 
Because if we are going to live honestly and openly in community with one another in the church, there is going to need to be a lot of forgiveness. (laughs) And Jesus, that is the one conditional element of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, it is, it is the life of forgiveness flows out of the one who has been forgiven. Bonhoeffer says, brotherly forgiveness makes room for the forgiveness of Jesus to enter into the common life. The church proves that it is worthy of the gospel by constantly and sincerely proclaiming God's forgiveness to one another. In this context, church discipline is a means of grace, because beginning with personal confession and culminating in excommunication for the unrepentant, discipline is simply calling the individual to live the gospel, a forgiven saint turning away from sin. So that's what we do in the liturgy. That's, that's, our, that's what we do in worship, is we come in confession of sin. That's us exercising church discipline upon ourselves. <laughs> that's us coming as a member of the church and confessing and repenting and hearing his word of forgiveness and pardon, hearing his gospel and being strengthened in holiness to go forth. And the mystery of all this is, oh, yeah, let me, all right, we're fine. The third is that this sanctification that is hidden is revealed in judgment. For now, we do not see that work, those good works, that work of grace that God is doing in our lives. We do see fruit of it. We see fruit of it in our homes. We see fruit of it in, in, our, in our various endeavors. But we don't see that grace itself motivating us and moving in and through us. But those works that God has prepared for us are revealed on the day of judgment. That's Paul's argument in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Those works are revealed that we are now doing. And here's the mystery of doing these good works. Because again, this is... At the heart of, I think, a lot of church struggles, (laughs) at the heart of a lot of of Christian struggles. Bonhoeffer says, all our good works are the works of God himself, the works for which he has prepared us beforehand. Good works, then, are ordained for the sake of salvation, but they are, in the end, those which God himself works within us. They are his gift, but it is our task to walk in them at every moment of our lives, knowing all the time that any good works of our own could never help us to abide before the judgment of God. We cling in faith to Christ and his works alone. 
For we have the promise that those who are in Christ Jesus will be enabled to do good works, which will testify for them in the day of judgment. They will be preserved and sanctified until the last day. All we can do is to believe in God's word, rely on his promise, and walk in the good works which he has prepared for us. And that's just a beautiful comfort to me. <laughs> that that's, it's all of God. It began with him. It's maintained by him. It's going to continue in him. It's always going to be him working it out. It's renewed in the community, in the church. It's, it's, it's strengthened, it's sharpened, it's focused, all of those things. But it's always God from beginning to end who is working in us and through us to will do according to his good pleasure. All our good works are the works of God himself, the works for which he has prepared us beforehand. Good works, then, are ordained for the sake of salvation, but they are in the end those which God himself works within us. They are his gift, but it is our task to walk in them at every moment of our lives, knowing all the time that any good works of our own could never help us to abide before the judgment of God. We cling in faith to Christ and his works alone. For we have the promise that those who are in Christ Jesus will be enabled to do good works, which will testify for them in the day of judgment. They will be preserved and sanctified until the last day. All we can do is to believe in God's word, rely on his promise, and walk in the good works which he has prepared for us. And I just, I yeah. I find that very comforting <laughs> uh, because it takes the focus off of my tally. My tally always ends up very heavy <laughs> on the leprosy side. <laughs> my, my tally of my life, my, my jotting up the details of how I spent the hours that God allotted me last week, my scale goes this way pretty hard. But it's God who is doing those works. God is doing those things. And we rely on him and he does work in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He does make sin odious to us. Let me be clear. We're not preaching licentiousness. Paul is very clear. Shall we sin therefore that grace may abound? God forbid. How can you who are dead <laughs> to sin live any longer in it? Uh, Bonhoeffer is not preaching licentiousness. In fact, the entire book is against it. But at the end, he says, the believer will be justified, the justified will be sanctified, and the sanctified will be saved in the day of judgment. And that's Paul's glorious train from Romans. The believer will be justified, the justified will be sanctified, and the sanctified will be saved in the day of judgment. Uh, so, that is the sense in which, and, and by the way, since we've got another minute or two, within the OPC, certainly, there has been a very difficult conversation about the extent to which justification is a forensic act versus a future 
ongoing outworking, uh, and, and we've come down very clearly on the forensic act, that, that justification is a forensic act. God declares us justified on the basis of Jesus Christ's vicarious atonement, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and his current reign. We are justified. Uh, at the same time, there's a recognition that this declaration of justification, this declaration of what he has done and will do and will continue to do, is going to be made at the last day. And it is made at that last day by those works which he himself is working in us. So that's trying to thread the needle <laughs> uh, on, on that seeming tension between you have been justified and you will be justified. Uh, so uh, That's all I've got. I'm actually done five minutes early. Uh, but that does close up chapter 30. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the final chapter uh, in the book and uh, then move on. So any questions, comments from this If not, let's close in prayer and we can just have more fellowship. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your promise that those whom you have called, you have justified. Those whom you have justified, you sanctify. Those whom you sanctify, you will declare and keep and preserve to the very end. Father, help us to bear fruit, to walk in the ways that you have ordained for us to walk, for your glory, in Christ's name, amen.